Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you did not leave it up to us to figure out what the truth is, but you revealed it to us. And so we proclaim that your word is a lamp unto our feet. God, open up our minds and hearts to hear what it is you have to say to us this morning. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. This morning we're continuing our sermon series, Every, Values That Change Everything. And I hope you're catching on that we think these things are really important. Because we believe they're so important that they should affect every single one of us in everything we do as a community. And so let me recap. We began with everything centered on God's Word. God's Word is true and transformational. Transformational. Every member a missionary. We're in the community and for the community. Every meeting a prayer meeting. That's how we consciously depend on the Holy Spirit. Every member a minister. We're all on staff. We all have a ministry here. Every nation hearing the gospel. We're a local church, but we have a global heart. And last week we talked about everyone walking with Jesus. We love Jesus Christ more than anything else. And today, we're getting close to the end, and we're talking about the theme, Every Generation Connected. We believe that it's really important that every generation is connected to one another in the church because we believe the church is the family of God. We are the family of God, and we believe that we should love and treat each other like it, that we are family. You know, I think one of the best things about family, family life for me, is eating together around the holidays. And one of the things I remember the most is being at my granny's house and sitting at the kids' table. How many of y'all had the kids' table growing up or still have the kids' table? That's a great thing. And we had a great time. The, ki- the kids' table was a blast. We're having such a good time hanging out and laughing and joking. And now as a parent, I totally get why you have a kids' table. A little peace and quiet while we eat the meal. My goodness, thank God. Kids' table's great. But we also missed out on some of the things that the adults were doing, the stories being shared, the memories, and some of the wisdom being passed down. And so that divide kind of caused, in some ways, just a slight division in the family experience around the holidays. And I think this image, if you can keep this image in your mind of having a separate kids' table and a separate adults' table, table, this is how many churches do church today. There's the kids off, we're going to put the kids at the kids' table, and we're going to keep the adults at the adults' table. And that's how primarily a lot of churches do church today. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe there's absolutely appropriate and right to tailor ministry to youth. We need that. But the problem becomes when that is the primary way that churches operate together. Because we are the, the goal of these ministries at the kids' table, they're always meant to be a bridge to include all the children and youth in the family of God. They're not supposed to be a silo ministry now they're taken care of. It's meant to be a bridge into the family household of God. And that's what we need to remember. That's what the church is. So we have to confront some of the misconceptions that we have. Brothers and sisters, the church is not a set of programs. The church is the family of God. The church is not a store offering you the goods and religious services you most want and you select here and there. The church is the household of God. The church is not an age-segmented school. The church is the intergenerational family of God on mission. The church of Jesus Christ should not be divided permanently by the kids' table over here, the adults' table here, and the senior bingo hall over here. That's not how we want to be. We want to be to all the generations together. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So how can we live into this? This is the theological truth. 
that we are the family of God. So how do we live into this truth? Would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. Now this passage is not in particular about intergenerational church, but there's some wonderful principles here that we can pick up on of how the apostles saw the church and felt about the church. So I'm going to give you four points this morning about what it means to be the family of God. Number one, we are a nurturing family that cares for each other. We are a nurturing family that cares for each other. Now, I love in this passage, the, the book of Thessalonians is actually written by three guys, the Apostle Paul, his mentee Timothy, and Silas. And so they use the word we throughout the letter because it's the three of them writing. And I love how they use these metaphors from every aspect of family life to describe their ministry, their life together amongst the Christians in Thessalonica. So in verse 7, they say, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Now, the Church of Jesus believes men and women are made equally in the image of God. But I think you'll agree, agree with me that obviously women have the unique role in regard to newborn infants, right? And because of that, there is this maternal nurturing, the self-sacrificing love that is tender and compassionate and gentle. However, these qualities are not exclusive to mothers or women in general. The Apostle Paul, the tent-making, working with his hands, blue-collar man, who would stay strong like a warrior in the face of persecution and suffering and was shipwrecked and was beaten and all these kinds of things. And Timothy and Silas, he says, we were like a nursing mother among you. That man, those men, three men say their ministry is being like a nursing mother with her children. Isn't that interesting? Now, I've never been a nursing mother before. Neither was the Apostle Paul or Silas or Timothy. But I've been married to one, and the level of care and love and attentiveness, it's, it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful, and it's also a lot of hard work. Mama gets tired. Babies get cranky and cry and wake you up in the night. But the mother knows that the baby needs to eat for their life and their well-being and their growth depend upon it. In the same way, friends, our growth as disciples of Jesus Christ, our walk with Jesus, thrives it thrives in an environment of nurture and care and compassion. A community, a community that is attentive to our needs and is committed to our growth. Children, youth, new Christians, they especially need this environment. All of us, all of us need to provide this level of nurture to each other. You know, in our world today, families are more independent and mobile than any time in history. I'm confident in claiming that because if you just look at the facts, it is true. You know, even just a hundred years ago, most people grew up in the same town with their parents and their grandparents and their extended family around. But now, kids go off to college, find careers, start families elsewhere, isolated from maybe parents, grandparents, extended family. Actually, that's Laura and I's case and many other people in my age bracket and, and, and demographic and the generation rising up. They're, we're independent, we're mobile, we're isolated. And given that context, how much more critical is it that we learn to live together as the intergenerational family of God? We have a generation rising up that includes both children and adults who don't have parents or grandparents or extended family around them, and they need a nurturing community where they have adopted 
adopted mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers, brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and cousins in the Lord. We all need that. I've heard even some of you in the congregation refer to each other, well, this is uncle so-and-so or this is grandma so-and-so. and That's wonderful. That's the vision. And some of you, you might need to adopt consciously in your mind. You know, the Lord has me here to be grandma. The Lord has me here to be grandpa. The Lord has me here to be father and mother or brother or sister or uncle or aunt. And you need to adopt that consciously in your mind because that is the primary metaphor the New Testament uses for the church, that we're the family of God. So when you come in, just say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to be a brother to so-and-so today or i got to be so-and-so's grandpa today. We need that in the church because we're family. I love what Paul says, his picture of family in Romans 12. He says, share with the saints in their needs Pursue hospitality, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble, do not be wise in your own estimation. In other words, live with everybody. Live in harmony with all the generations, don't be too wise, but live with all people. And friends, if you look at this and many other passages in the New Testament that describe the church, a vast majority of them are intangible. They're not programmatic. They're not found on our strategic plan. They're organic. They're part of the culture. They're, part of, they're a set of behaviors, a set of ways of, that we live together as the family of God. To share with our, our needs with each other, to be hospitable, to open our home, to celebrate with each other, to weep with each other, to live in harmony through all the seasons of life. That's the image of the New Testament church. So the question I have for you this morning is, will you be like a nursing mother? to your church family? Will you be so committed to the nurture and the growth of your church family and have the same love and compassion and nurture that a mother would to her child? That's what the Apostle Paul is going. And Paul and Timothy and Silas. That's number one. Number two, we love each other enough to share life together as family. We love each other enough to share life together as family. You know, I think what's so moving and surprising about this passage is the vision of warmth and affection that the early church had for one another. You know, it's not very theological. Look at verse 8. Because we loved you so much. Oh my goodness. Do you see the warmth in that? Could you say that about your church family? Because we loved you so much. We loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It was our delight. It was our joy. It was our pleasure to do these things because we loved you so much. I think it would be wonderful if we simply delighted to share the gospel with each other, to share God's word with each other, with the upcoming generation. And I don't think we have that problem here at all. In fact, we're reading scripture together across the generations. We preach the word on Sundays. We have wonderful teachers who love their kids in Sunday school and kids club. And we have a great group in confirmation studying the word together. We delight to spread the gospel. We, we delight to share the gospel and God's word with each other. We delight to pass on our faith. But could we go a step further? Could you say we delight, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Life sharing. The sharing of our time, of our souls, our thoughts, our feelings, our struggles, our joys. This is what makes the church family. And friends, it's what makes it worthwhile. 
when you experience this warmth, when you experience this love, there's nothing else like it. This is what makes the church the church. There are a few ways that we can live this out together as family, but I think one way, I w- a couple ways I want to highlight is, is one, we, we build memories with each other over time as family. In fact, in the next chapter in Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 6, uh, Timothy reports, it says, Timothy has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Oh, that's beautiful. The warmth. We don't often picture, I think, the, the, the early apostles expressing this type of heartfelt affection for one another. But there's a deep warmth, a longing. And I, the question I ask is, are we living as a church in such a way that in, say, five years from now, you will have new, pleasant, and fond memories with people from your church family? And if God so moved you somewhere else, would you so long to see your brothers and sisters from your church family? Because that is how they were living in such a way that when they were separated, they longed to see one another because they were family. And I'll, I'll always, I mean, I've already in the few years I've been here pastor, I've, I've developed, I have developed many fond memories with many of you. Actually, I think each and every one of you. And I'll always have fond memories of our, our church retreat last year where really all the generations were together and I, I think especially for some reason the giant swing comes to mind. It's a, it's a big swing that Covenant Harbor has. And you, you get put in a harness and you get hoisted up 150 feet or whatever it is. Probably not that high. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it, was, it was great. Daisy, Daisy was roaming around and the Smith girls were trying to chase after Daisy and watch her. And, and Gene Frost was up there with his son-in-law Luke. And Gene went upside down and everyone was laughing and and then Don Anderson went for the first time with, next to Heather Carlson. And everyone's just laughing and enjoying this time together. And then we're watching the kids want to jump on that water trampoline. Oh my goodness, they were having the time of their lives with one another. Having this rich time, and I'll never forget playing Monopoly for like three hours with Torsten Carlson and many others around the table. And Torsten somehow made some type of merger with Luke, and the, the whole game was, was over. It was rigged. It was rigged. <laughs> but we had a lot of fun. Already the pleasant memories of one another. That's what we need to do as a church body. So we build memories with each other over time. Another thing that we do is that we pursue warm and familial affection for everyone, for everybody. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Second Peter 1. 5 through 7. I'm a goal-oriented person, so this really speaks to me. For this very reason, make every effort, how much effort? Every effort, to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Now, many of us, we, we, we love to add knowledge to our faith, don't we? We're pretty good at that. We love learning new things. We love studying. That's great. That's one of the things Peter says to add to. But I think of this passage like a staircase. We're, we're climbing up a, a staircase of maturity towards the ultimate goal of love. And towards the pinnacle of this staircase is, believe it or not, mutual affection. How many of you thought that being a disciple of Jesus would require you to grow in mutual affection for your brothers and sisters? That's not a spiritual maturity category when we think about it. But there it is, right there. Friends, you know that you're growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ 
when your affection and love for your brothers and sisters is growing. That's how you know you're growing. One of the ways, at least. I'll never forget my youth leader in high school. He, even though he was quite a bit older than I was, he always called me brother. You know, and, and that just always stuck with me. He always called me brother. And he invited me to meals to his home, and he treated me like his younger brother. I felt included. I felt valued. I felt like I belonged. Every generation needs that type of inclusion and affection and love. And I have to say to you who find yourselves in the older generation, or to those of you who have been in the church the longest, you must take the responsibility to offer your love to those who are younger and to those who are newer. Those with the most connection, those with the most influence, those with the most status, those who have been around the longest, they are responsible for taking the initiative. The older siblings are responsible for the younger siblings. I like what Chap Clark says. He's a youth ministry expert out at Fuller Seminary. He says, every young person deserves three things. To know they've been seen, to hear their name, and to have a genuine encounter with someone who says something nice to them. What if you made that your goal when you came to worship? I think every person, but especially our young, deserve this type of care and welcome. But we all, every generation needs this type of welcome. And this is how we build that familial affection, making every effort to add to our faith, mutual affection and love, living as the family of God and sharing life together. Number three, we are brothers and sisters who provide examples of godly living to one another. We are brothers and sisters who provide examples of godly living to one another. It's interesting, Paul and Silas and Timothy, initially they, they say we're like, we were like nursing mothers caring for their children among you, uh, which is kind of a high, hierarchy, right? But then he ha- they have no problem saying, we are your brothers and sisters. We are in the same plane. We are in the same family. We are on the same level. Verses 9 through 10. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Now, the context of this, there seems to be uh, an occasion where the apostles and their workers are being accused of being charlatans, of being out for their own gain. But they were reminding the church, they said, you saw our way of life. You saw our conduct that we had among you. We worked night and day so that you didn't have to, we didn't have to live off your support. And so no one can accuse us of preaching the gospel out of self-interest because the Thessalonians witnessed their life. It says, verse 10, they were holy, righteous, and blameless among you who believed. In fact, they said in the chapter previously, in chapter 1, verses 5, five through 6, they say, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. See, when the apostles and their workers uh, went to minister to the Thessalonians, they moved into the neighborhood. They shared life. They lived among them. They shared the table fellowship in their homes. And because of that shared life, they could provide godly examples to one another. You know, it seems to me that Paul and their workers, their primary discipleship strategy was follow me as I follow Christ. Watch my life. Watch my example and imitate what we are doing. You see, discipleship, it's more caught than it is taught. 
It's more like immersion into a new language than it is studying from a textbook. It must be caught from seeing it in the lives of people who live out these theological truths. And this is why discipleship can never, ever be separated from Christian community. It's not possible. It goes back to the early proverb, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's how we grow. And we need godly examples to imitate so that we know what it means to walk with Jesus in our day, in our time, in our context. And as we connect all the generations in our church, we learn from one another's examples as brothers and sisters. And I believe we are very fortunate in our church. We have some godly men and women following Jesus Christ. Can we praise the Lord for that? Thank the Lord. And, I, and I'm watching, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the oldest generation yet. I'm still on the, the millennial side. And, and uh, I'm watching some of our recently retired folks. And I'm learning from your example. I'm learning for when I get to that time. And I'm learning that many of you, you're viewing it not as a time for self-indulgence, but you're viewing it as this is just a change in my ministry. This is just a change in my season. God, what do you have for me next? And you're devoting your time to the Lord and to the church and to the family of God. And we're learning from your example. And those coming up underneath you are watching and learning. And it's wonderful. And I'm learning from many of the parents in the room how you're, you're navigating how to raise your children in this culture that competes for the that competes for their desires, their affections, and everything else around them. And I'm learning from you how to do it. And I'm actually learning from those who are younger than me. Believe it or not, there's a few people who are younger than me in the church. And I'm learning from the confirmation students. In fact, we have incredible insight. Uh, every week we have great conversations. But in fact, two of our students, they're, they're reading the Bible together, our Bible reading plan. And they're texting each other and calling each other throughout the week and saying, Hey, did you understand that passage? Did you get that? Because I was a little confused. Can you help me? Maybe we can talk to our parents and figure this out. And they're modeling to us how to read Scripture in community together. I'm marveling at what they're doing. I'm like, this is amazing. You see, what I'm trying to communicate to you right now is that every generation connected does not mean generational hierarchy. It does not mean that it's just seniors on down and we're all just learning from those who are older. No, it's we're all connected and learning from one another. And we need the kids and youth just as much as they need us. We need each other because we are the family of God. So to those of you who are younger, even our compromands and our students, hear the words that Paul said to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In fact, I think it would be appropriate to reverse this passage and say, don't let anyone look down on you because you're old. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Every generation, setting an example for the others. And when the generations, when we learn from each other, every person is enriched in their walk with Jesus Christ. That's how we grow as well-rounded disciples. And finally this morning, number four. We are a household of gospel-centered mentorship. We are a household of gospel-centered mentorship. I love how Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they round out the family metaphors here. And they have called themselves mothers, brothers, sisters, and now fathers. Verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, 
2,000 years ago, that culture, mothers were the primary nurturers of the family, and the fathers had the primary responsibility of moral instruction in living. Now, Paul is not legalizing these gender roles for all, all mankind for all time, but he's using them as metaphors for church ministry. And he says, just as in our time, as a father deals with his own children, we did everything we could to morally instruct you, to help you walk worthy of God. See, a good father would know, how to give his children, would know what to give his children in every situation. And we all know this too as parents, mothers or fathers. Sometimes the kids just need encouraging. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going the course. You can do this. You have what it takes. Keep it up. Sometimes they need comforting. Life and ministry can be hard. And we need fathers. We need mothers who will give comfort in our sorrow and hardship. And sometimes we need urging. Fathers and mothers who will call us to be more than we ever would be on our own. Step up to the plate. Take responsibility for your walk with Christ. Take responsibility for your life. I urge you to walk with God and watch your life, your doctrine, your practice closely. Step up to the plate. Encouraging, comforting, urging. The role of a father at that time. All of this towards what end? Paul says to live lives. In fact, in the Greek, it's the word walk again. To walk worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom. Friends, all of this is possible, only possible, because of the gospel of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of his death, because of his resurrection, we are now united and reconciled to him. And because of that, we're reconciled to one another in the family of God. It's all possible because God is calling. God is taking the initiative with us. So this fatherly mentorship, discipleship, is centered on the gospel of Jesus. And so in light of that gospel, we mentor, we disciple others, encouraging, comforting, and urging them to walk worthy of the gospel of God. So they cover all four nuclear family relationships. Motherly, fatherly, brotherly, and sisterly. We need all those in the family of God. So in the family of God, you ought to receive the motherly nurture, the fatherly encouragement, and the sibling-like affection in the church. And in order to experience that, it's my contention that we need every generation connected. We need everybody together to experience that. So how can we do it? How do we do this? How do we apply this? Let me give a few thoughts on that application. In fact, I think in many ways we're doing this well. And I'm just encouraging and reinforcing what we're already doing. So let me talk about some organized ways that we do this. Uh, one is our all-church family meal. I want you to notice there's no kids' table. There's no kids' table at the family meal. Why? Because we want you to make intergenerational connections. We want our children and youth and all of us to be connected in the family of God. It's why we make questions every week. It's why we try to mix it up who you're sitting with so that you're building a web of family intergenerational connections every month. It's important to us. Another thing we talked about is retreats. Uh, let me just let you in on, on a little secret. If you want to build memories with people, there's no substitute for time. I know, that's revolutionary. But if you, if you want to build memories with people, if you want to be family, there's no substitute for time. You have to spend time with people. And retreats is a big way that we do that here. We have our men's retreat coming up. We have the all-church we're going to do again in August. And we're actually planning for a women's retreat uh, this fall that you can be looking forward to. Another way that we do this is our community hour. We have our community groups twice a month that are open to high school students. In fact, last year we had our host daughter, Navia, with us in her senior year. And it was wonderful to have her insights add enrichment to the conversation that we could be together in this community. Most of our events are intergenerational. Our worship nights, our game nights, they're open to everybody. 
And also, we have our, uh, our greeting time, where I tell you every week, greet your brothers and sisters in the Lord, because I want you to remind, I want to remind you that your family, and that you would make every effort to add to your faith mutual affection, that you might l- seek out somebody you don't know, you might seek out a person from another generation, and make a connection. And obviously, our worship, we are intentional involving all of the generations in our worship services. But there's also ways that uh, you can't strategically plan this. You have to have an organic culture where this happens. And so a few ways that we could go about making this organic among us is one is table fellowship. And I've been giving you some questions to give you some ways that you can just add this to your vocabulary. A simple question is, would you like to come over for dinner? I, I know, revolutionary stuff here. Revolutionary, but it actually is. Didn't Jesus do this in his ministry? How often did you see Jesus at the table with people? Why? Because he knows there's a power when we gather around the table. So would you add that to your vocabulary? Could we grab lunch? Could we grab coffee? Could we, ha- could we gather around? Don't worry if your house is clean or not. Forget it. Just invite people over. Don't worry about that. Another way that we, we can work on this is greeting and knowing names. Do you know the names of the newer folks in the church? Do you know the names of our children and youth? See, our greeting time, our coffee time, it's essential to making these organic connections where people feel welcome. And finally, the last way, organic way, is a special focus on youth and children. Now, I know I've said all the generations connected, but the, ol- the older siblings do have a responsibility to the up-and-coming generations. So, and this has been true of our church based, since its founding. We've always had a special focus on raising up our youth and children in the Lord. We do this because likely they're going to be the ones who are here long after us. And also because the older should not expect the younger to initiate themselves into the family. The older has a responsibility to do that. To receive the welcome and empowerment from the generations above them. And again, I want to give you a long quote from Chap Clark because it's so good. And he says, instead of of churches asking, what programs do we offer? He says, this is what we should do. We should ask, what are we doing today to connect children and students to all the other people in this congregation who are ready and willing to love and care for them? It's almost like he's talking right to our church, isn't it? We need to communicate to each and every precious young person that God grants us the chance to lead. We want you here. We will make room for you. We will weave you into this family. We have to be the initiators of welcome and inclusion. We have to take the lead. We take the first step. Our goal is to make sure that everything young people experience screams out at them. This is your place. This is your church. This is your family. Isn't that powerful? That's what we want to do. And we're doing it well, and I just want to reinforce it. That everything that we do would say to our young folks, this is your family. Be here. You are a part of this. Every generation, every part matters. The church, friends, is the family of God. Every generation connected. And my prayer for us is may we grow in our love and affection for each other as family. May the Lord increase it, and may he let it overflow. Amen? Invite Peter up and Peter.